that um, there is an old phrase that goes, you know, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. How many of you have heard that just by chance? Okay, literally almost everybody. Okay, um, but, but quite honestly, uh, that is never our problem as Christians. Our struggle as Christians is never that we're too heavenly minded. It's actually the very opposite. Too often and really kind of quite regularly, we are not heavenly minded enough. And this is why we fall into sin. We easily get caught up in the earthly and think we have to find the rescue that we are looking for here on this earth. Rather than looking at the one from above. He is the rescue. We get so driven to find peace and security here in the things that are just going to burn one day. We get pulled into this lie that we have to go out and and work for our freedom. We allow ourselves to be tricked into thinking that this world can offer us real comfort and real hope. The the truth is, is that this world cannot offer you anything of worth or of significance or meaning. It cannot give you true direction or purpose. It has, it has nothing ultimately to offer your kids, your spouse, your friends, or you or your neighbors. The only, only, only way to find any true substance that has any depth in how we go about our life and the way that we interact with others is all found in the gospel of the grace of God, which, is, which the whole Bible ultimately points to. When we view the world through the lens of this gospel message, we see the love of God displayed for us sinners. And through this love of, of, of how he sent his son to die for us sinners and to be the sacrifice that we need and so that we can be with him forever and, and how his son came back to life to give us restoration, forgiveness, freedom, and to give us salvation, that message of the gracious love of God is what fuels us and what changes us and molds us to find all that we are in the Lord. When we see that we can do nothing to earn anything good from God, that the only thing ultimately that we could ever do to earn for him was wrath, that left to ourselves were just broken people who are spiritually dead before him, who lived in defiance, who were in love with our sins and and took enjoyment in our sins and looked for more ways to sin so we can keep separated from God. And yet how God the Father out of his love came running after us through the love of God the Son so that we can experience his love through God the Holy Spirit by faith in God the Son. This is where we draw all of our comfort and our dignity and our worth and our significance and our meaning and our rescue and our direction and our purpose and our joy and our hope and our peace. Or at least we should be. But again, that's, that is the struggle. We don't all the time. When we lose focus of the heavenly gospel, we end up holding on to grudges. We end up distancing ourselves from those who need to know Christ, but we can't stand them, so we're going to serve ourselves rather than them. We become control freaks and and have tyrannical outbursts that scare or tear people down, or this passive aggressiveness that messes with people's minds so that we can get our way to fulfill our needs and our wants rather than placing others' needs and others' wants 
above our own when we lose focus of the heavenly. When we lose focus of what Christ, of of what we have in Christ who is in heaven, who is there praying for us, interceding for us, and loving us and guiding us, we sadly look, when we forget that, we sadly look for other means to provide the rescue, to provide a sense of life, to provide a sense of freedom, to provide a sense of feeling of importance or satisfaction. And so we end up then going to our pride, our addiction, our lusts, our sins, to try to quench our troubles in our life, but it never does. For the only thing that can, that can change and release us from our burden of just looking for that validation on who we are and what we're doing is only found in the gospel, not in this earth. It is only found in what Christ has done for us rather than what we do for for him and what we can get from people. So it's God's love for us that we experience through faith in Christ, then, that we look to that consequently frees us to live a life of love unto God and a life of love to those around us. And today, Paul is going to reveal what a life of love does not look like. He is going to show us what the love of Christ in our life now, through faith in him, has freed us from as we look at verses 3 through 4 today. So our title today is Being Heavenly Minded. So to set this up, Paul has just finished verses 1 and 2, revealing the sacrificial love of Christ for us and how we are to look at that sacrificial love by faith in Him, and then this will empower us to also live a life of sacrificial love towards each other. And then Paul then shows the very opposite here, of what the, the very opposite of what sacrificial love looks like. And remember, Paul is going to get up all in our life. He's going to get all up in your business. He's going to get up all in my business. He's going to get into the church's business, and he's going to get, in, he's going to get right into our minds and hearts, how you think and how we think. Because remember, Christ died for all of your life, not just part of it. He died to bring you complete freedom, not partial freedom. So Paul then says in verse 3, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covenantness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. So here with Paul starting with, but... He's trying to catch our attention to say, look, what comes next is in stark contrast to everything I've just stated about the sacrificial love of Christ. And I'm emphasizing that. Everything opposite of the sacrificial love of Christ for us that we're called to rely upon so that we can live it out through faith in him. And this brings us to our first point. Being heavenly minded frees us from sinful practices. Paul is saying that what he lists here is not the sacrificial love of Christ that we're called to live out, not in the slightest, but the very opposite of love, true love. So this list of sins then begins with sexual immorality, 
which means any sexual activity or any sexual inclination outside of the marriage of a biological male and a biological female alone. All impurity, which is directed at the heart or mind, meaning any immoral passions, any desires or fantasies, any thoughts, any feelings, any emotions, in a, in a sexual sense that we may have dwelling in our hearts or mind that is contrary to the ways of God laid out in Scripture. Or covetedness, which is referring to greediness, which means to have this mindset of living for self and all things at the expense of others or with no real regards for others, which is seen in material or financial gain. But by also placing covetedness here with the word or in the context of sexual immorality and all impurity, it has, it has the implication that pursuing sexual fantasies of any type of the heart or, the, or, or of the mind or, or physical outside of a marriage of a biological male and a biological female in marriage, this too is also considered an expression of greed. Because people then just become like material objects or like money just to fulfill our selfish desires and our selfish gratifications at their expense. Now on a side note, as a pastor, I've been in ministry for a long time, like over like 15 years now, long time. I've counseled a lot of people in my life with their struggles with sins, okay? And, and what I found interesting is that many will say, and a big portion of the time, it's a struggle with sexual sins, whether in the heart or in their relationships. But at least for now that I can ever recall, I cannot recall when anyone has ever come to me and asked for help because they realize they are greedy. No one has ever come up to me and said, Pastor, I struggle with greed. Can you pray for me? Now, either greed is not as much of an issue in our world today, or, which I think is more likely, Greed is so ingrained into our lifestyle that we don't even realize it or recognize it, that I don't even recognize it. And I'm not even talking about finances here. We can be greedy with our time, with our gifts, with our very lives, or with whatever we interact with. Just like this text is expressing even our lusts, Count as greed then by this text. See, remember, greed is the exact opposite of sacrificial love. Like Christ's love for us. Greed is a selfish love that's all about selfish gain and not about giving at all. But it's all about taking ultimately. And what I find in our culture today it's very easy to justify our greed because greed doesn't just have to be dealing with finances. Being rich doesn't mean you're greedy. Greed can be with anything because greed or covetedness is really an attitude of the heart that's obsessed with self. That plays out then in our actions in this world and with others that could apply to anything. 
And for Paul here then, sexual immorality and impurity are some of the blunt expressions of our greed. On top of all the other implications that greed has in our life over material and finances and stuff and relate, whatever. I know this, this stuff is, is serious stuff. It's heavy. When you really analyze it and think about it. And when was the last time that, you know, oh Lord, help me with my greed. Like, what? Or at least phrasing it like that. But understand, I know it's heavy, but sin is serious. I mean, it's so serious that it costs the life of our Savior. But we must remember that Christ has freed us from the power of these sins in our life. We are not doomed to them, but have been freed from them, which is why Paul then says, we must, uh, must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Remember, Paul here is not speaking to non-believers in this text. Paul is not speaking to people who don't have faith in Christ. The letter was not written to them. He is speaking to the Ephesian Ephesian churches. He's speaking to believers. So he's writing to encourage them to not commit these sins anymore. These sins should not be practiced in our life. But understand this, and and it's very important so we don't run into legalism. When he says, must not even be named among you, he's not saying that believers cannot speak about these sins. I mean, Paul himself is speaking about the sins in this passage. He is speaking to them, and he has spoken of these sins also in other places of Scripture, too. I mean, if you just were to read certain sections of Scripture as a whole, the Bible does speak about some really grotesque sins that are committed by people that would make all of us blush or make me feel awkward reading it from up here. So he's not saying that people have to keep quiet about these sins in their life, like a hush-hush. Like they have to hide it and and not let anyone know they're struggling with these sins. That, That is not the freedom we're called to in Christ. What he's saying by being named, as with any sin, but for the context, sexual immorality, impurity, covetedness, or greediness, we are not to be identified with them, or find any part of our identity in them. And what I mean is that our lifestyles and lives are not to be a life that has the purposeful habits that embrace these sins listed here and say, they're okay. You're okay, I'm okay, it's okay. Paul not, so Paul is not saying that we don't struggle with the sins listed here, or any sin for that matter. For Paul's writing to the churches, the people in the church who do struggle with this, I mean, that's why he's pointing them out and he's listing them out here in the first place. His point is that we do not embrace the sin, or any sin in this context. We should not be embracing these sins and say these sins in my life are not really sins at all. They're just part of who I am. Saying that you are 
okay with people to identify you with these sins and, and these list of sins become your identity and you're okay with expressing it. That is what Paul is getting at when he says named. This should not be because these sins no longer have power over us or them. They are no longer part of us now. Why is that? Well, notice, he says, because they are the saints. These sins are not proper among the saints. See, Paul is saying that they and we can turn away from committing these sins because they, as with us now, are the saints through faith in Christ. Not that they are to turn away from these sins so that they can become a saint. No, they are saints now by the power of Christ alone and what he has done for them. Now, just real quick, so everyone knows, the word saints here just means the holy people of God. If you have faith in Christ, you are a saint. Congratulations. Pass go, you collect $200. You are a holy one now before God. For through faith in Christ, Christ has made you holy before God. He has created you anew. You are a new creation before God now spiritually. You are alive now where it was one time you were dead. So Paul is saying we are called to live as the holy people of God that we already are by faith in Christ. These sins, because because of Christ, play no role, no longer play any role in God's love over us or favor over us. These sins play no role in God's relation to us as his holy people, as if we become less of his people by committing them. But rather we are free from them They hold no power over us now to be enslaved to them or give in to them. For we are the saints of God now with no need of them. For we have all we need in Christ through his finished work. All the satisfaction and rescue comes from him now, not those sins. Because that's why we go to them. To be satisfied, to feel rescued, to feel validated. We don't have to go out and get anymore, but rather we are free to live from, from what we already have in Jesus. These sins are of no use to us. They fulfill nothing of worth. So we are to turn from them. See, Paul is saying to these people, remember the gospel. Be heavenly minded. Get your eyes off yourself and those around you and look upon what God has done for you through Christ. You are a saint now. You are his saint. You are his holy one who has been freed from a life of slavery to sin. That that sin is no longer your identity. You are free to live from the freedom you have in Christ, who is your identity. Keep, Keep your mind on the gospel. Remember that God is fully with you. He is your father. He is your provider. He is your rescuer. You are in his kingdom through what Christ has done for you by faith alone in him. So Paul is bringing this up, this this sainthood given to us by Christ alone so that Jesus' love becomes our motivation and our source and our power from turning from these sins in our life. For the sins listed here are things that just give in to slavery. But we are free in Christ and he is our identity in all that we are and all that we do. So though we may fall into sin, we are not known by our sin because we repent of our sin. We are rather known by our faith in Christ. 
For we have been named or claimed by Him in our life now rather than the sins. Remember, Christians don't live perfectly, which can be clearly seen from this text, one text alone, and all the New Testament. Paul is like, stop! But we do live differently. We don't accept our sins now, whereas one time we did. When temptation comes our way, we look to Jesus, our Savior, to rescue us, to bring us through the temptation, whereas one time we would not care. When we fall into our sin, even then, we still turn to Jesus to be reminded of how he has cleansed us and forgiven us of our sins. But whatever the case or situation, we are not okay with sin anymore, but rather grieved by it and encouraged that Christ has forgiven us from it, or at least we should be. And if we are not grieved by our sin, which... There are sins that you commit that you're not grieving over. You're like, no. But are being shown through his word that what you are doing or holding on to is a sin. But you're not grieved by it yet. We still go to Christ by faith in him to change our hearts so that we can turn from it and reflect on what we already are in him, a saint. For we know that he has done it all for us, and we could never change ourselves in the first place. Nor can we change ourselves now by our own power or our own wit. Have those accountability groups, great, but guess what? Only Christ can change. We can't. We can only point to the one who can fix, and that's Jesus. I mean, that's why Jesus came. He came to change us. He came to mold us into his image all by faith in him alone. He came to change our hearts and minds and actions to live according to the ways of God all through depending on him alone. And if that's not enough, that wasn't like heavy enough. Paul then gives another set of sins we are to flee flee from by being heavily minded in Christ. He says in Ephesians 5.4, Let there be no filthiness, meaning let no obscene or immoral or immodest or shameful things be practiced in our life or speech. Nor foolish talk, meaning a speech that that does not edify or instruct or profit anyone. Let no speculative babble that amounts to nothing and brings nothing of worth to anyone because it's morally deficient come from our mouths. Nor crude joking, meaning a wittiness that turns everything into a degrading remark or comeback for the sake of it being destructive or sexual in nature for a laugh with no constructive purpose at all. Paul says these things or sins are out of place. They're inappropriate. Meaning, as a people who are now holy before the Lord, committing these sins bring no honor to the Lord and do not reveal the freedom and love we have in Christ, nor does it show that we are living from the freedom and love we have in Christ. So the question then becomes, what is Paul's answer then to all these besetting sins that tempt us? How are we to deal with the day-to-day of life and not commit these sins? How are we called to turn from them? And he gives us the answer. He says, but, but instead, in contrast to all those sins, let there be thanksgiving. 
And this brings us to our last point. Being heavenly minded creates gratitude to God. And this at least may seem like a strange answer on how to combat all of our sins. I mean, you would expect Paul to say, just be pure, try harder, combat your sin, and be more godly, and just do it. Nike style. Just do it. But that's not his answer. He doesn't say, beat yourself up to a pulp. Lock yourself into a room. No, he says, be thankful or grateful to the Lord. Paul here is saying, look upon the generosity of God over us and what he has done for us. Think upon that. Think upon the heavenly. Let it melt your heart and mind to be thankful for his blessings in your life and let that guide and reflect all that we speak and think and feel and do as we live upon this earth. Now you might ask then, probably like, so are we not allowed to have humor then? Is wittiness a bad thing? No, Paul is not saying that at all. Rather, Paul is saying there is a proper way of going about it in this life. So think of it this way, okay, if I've lost you with everything else. The list of sins in dealing with sex, our relationships, our possessions, our bodies, our minds, our words, our creativity, our jokes, whatever, our very lives, okay, all those, however you want to place those, All of it now is to be seen through this lens of truth that reveals all of it as as gifts from God to us through faith in Christ. So we are to see him as this gracious giver of, of good things to us and the way we honor and show our gratitude and thankfulness to our Lord with these gifts is to use them properly before him. I mean, on a very practical level, when I give someone a gift, the way that they can honor me, right, or show some type of honor or show me their thankfulness is to use the gift properly. It's like, here's a new set of dishes for you. If someone takes that dish and goes, thanks, I'd be like, what? But if they say thank you and then like they're using it to feed their families or whatever, that, that shows honor. They're using it properly. So on a much bigger level, that shows how it is with God and with everything he provides for us. We go to him to provide the correct and right way of using these things. There's a right way to all that stuff. For remember, we are to grow more in our dependence upon the Lord through faith in Christ, not our independence. We go to him to be our everything now with all things. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, he will mold our lives and interactions to live according to his ways in all things and have proper interactions with everything. For we have been freed by Christ to live a life of freedom with our material possessions, with our wittiness of minds, with our speech, with our relationships, and with our intimate life, and not, and not be in bondage to them. We're called to be free in them. Christ has said in John 10.10, 10, I'm sure you have heard this, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What does that mean? There's a part of it that means 
That abundance of life is a, a life that depends upon God for all things through faith in Christ. It is a life that depends upon Him to provide the direction, the meaning, the definitions of everything in our life. When we see all that we have as gifts from God, we then go to the giver, God, to see what He intends for us by giving it to us. We don't, have to, we don't figure it out on our own. That was the problem in the first place. That's why we ended up in sin. We tried to do it on our own. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Read it. Genesis 3. And the greatest gift, then, that he has given us was his son who came and lived the life we could not live, died the death that we deserved, and came back to life to give us what we could not earn. It is because of this wonderful gift of eternal salvation that we now, by faith in Christ, can have a thankfulness or gratitude that springs from our heart to want to follow after him, follow his ways in all things, with all things that then he has given us. And this will happen more and more as we keep our eyes on the heavenly, keep our eyes upon Jesus. Though his gospel, uh, through this gospel in which we read about and hear about and sing about, we will naturally and consequently then begin living according to his ways in all things because our hearts are going to be molded to be like his when you keep him on, in focus. And we end up giving and interacting sacrificially out of love to others rather than taking out of our own selfishness. And even when we fail and struggle to do such things, and I know you will, I know I will, I know the moment we leave out here, you're going to run into it. I mean, maybe that restaurant that you're going to go to, you have someone there that's going to push your buttons, or maybe you're going to go home and deal with someone that's going to push your buttons, or maybe it's going to be at night and something's going to push your button and you're going to want to push buttons, When we fail and struggle to do such things because we get caught up in the earthly, guess what? He comes graciously to us to pick us back up through faith in Him and remind us of His love for us that never ends. To tell you that, hey, we are His saint and He died for us. He died for you on an individual level because He knew what you are going to do. And He's not going to let go of you. For he will be faithful to you. And that's the promise of the gospel. He is faithful to us even when we're not faithful to him. And this glorious promise promotes us all the more than to turn from our sin and rest in his unchanging grace over us. For the more heavenly minded than we become, the more earthly, the more earthly good comes out of us. May Christ then be our encouragement and our empowerment and peace in turning from the sin For his love is never ending over us. It is truly finished in Christ. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. If you want to come up and pray with one of the deacons or up here or wherever, pray wherever you're at, I encourage you to do so. I encourage if you don't know Jesus, come to know him today. He's a gracious Savior. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Truly, Lord, completely exposed before you. Because, God, we don't even know the sins we're committing half the time, Lord. We justify everything because we want to make everything about us. We want to make our marriages about us. We want to make, make our relationships, our children, our, our, our work, our lives all about me, 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 me. God, help us to die to self and to grow in dependence upon you in all those things. 
to say, we don't know how. But you do, and you will empower us to do so through your word by the power of the Spirit. God, I pray if someone doesn't know you right now, Lord, that they come to know you today, right now, in this moment. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling, that they turn from their sin and reach out to you, Lord. Even if they don't feel it, they can, by faith, reach out. For faith is not a feeling. It is truth. It is trust. It's just simply acknowledgement of our need. God, be with us now as we sing to you and help us rest in the finished work of your Son. Amen. Let's sing.